Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Chris Barton, the author of several picture books, including The Dayglow Brothers, Shark vs. Train, and The Amazing Age of John Roy Lynch, as well as Can I See Your ID, a book for teens profiling several real-life individuals who adopted aliases and fake identities. Now Barton is back with another nonfiction picture book, Woosh, Lonnie Johnson's Super Soaking Stream of Inventions, illustrated by Don Tate. It's being published in May by Charles Bridge, which is sponsoring this podcast. Woosh is an account of the life of Lonnie Johnson, an African-American inventor who was interested in rockets and robots from a young age, worked for NASA during the Galileo mission, and went on to create what would become the Super Soaker water gun, drenching a couple generations of American kids. Uh, Chris, thanks for speaking with me. That was my pleasure, John. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, so I feel like uh, many of your nonfiction picture books, uh, I'm sorry, I guess your nonfiction books in general, both picture books and and Can I See Your ID, they, they end up showcasing figures from history, or in the case of Lonnie Johnson, still from the present, I guess, who kids haven't seen or heard about before. Is that something fair to say? Is that an approach you like to take? I wouldn't say it's necessarily what I've set out to do, but I found myself really intrigued by stories of people we, we don't know a lot about already. And I, there are a few folks that I, I would like to write about who are also known to some extent, but I, I do find myself writing what, what often is the first book that's been written about a figure for, for any age group, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's John Roy Lynch or Bob and Joe Switzer or Lonnie Johnson. Mm-hmm. And how did you uh, end up finding your way to uh, the figure of Lonnie Johnson? I... I think I may have heard of him several years ago, but he hadn't really registered with me until about five years ago. I was doing a school visit in the Dallas area, uh, a week-long series of school visits. And then at lunchtime each day, the librarian who had hosted me in the morning would kind of hand me off to the librarian who was hosting me in the afternoon. And over lunch one day, we were talking about a seminar that they had gone to where they were encouraged to draw a, uh, a picture of a, of a scientist. And most of them drew somebody who looked like Albert Einstein, you know, a lab coat, wild hair, uh, a white guy. And the point of the exercise was for the educators who were at the seminar to, to really be aware of their own biases and their own uh, expectations of what scientists look like, but to look beyond those, to think of, of scientists who aren't white men. And that evening when I was back at my hotel, I began looking up, began researching African-American scientists and inventors. And I very quickly found Lonnie Johnson and, and knew in no time that he was somebody I wanted to write about. And, um, you know, in the case of this book, you actually got to speak to uh, the subject uh, yourself, which I'm not sure is the case with, with all of your books. What was that like? How did that happen? I had a lot of fun talking with Lonnie Johnson. Uh, it, uh, it was just a matter of reaching out to his, his company. He has his own, his own research and development company in Atlanta. And so it was a matter of me reaching out saying I wanted to, to do this book about Lonnie Johnson. I believe I sent him a copy of the Dayglow Brothers. He could see the sort of book that I, that I had in mind. And we talked on the phone uh, for about an hour and changed on three occasions. I guess that was... I guess it was four years ago, um, four years ago last uh, this coming summer. And I have never had more fun talking with uh, interviewing somebody than I had with, with Lonnie Johnson because he's such an engaging person and such a fantastic sense of humor. And one of the aspects of his early life was that he was one of six children. They had a relatively small house and he was a collector of stuff that he would use to tinker with. And you know, I got the sense as he was talking about 
now all of his possessions, all the all the materials he gathered. I thought something he, he may have gotten more than his fair share of the available space. I remember asking him, so Lonnie, you had five brothers and sisters. Did your stuff take up one sixth of the available space? And I think I, I knew the answer. And he just started laughing, and just this this, this, this rich rich laugh that was very it was it was contagious. And uh, that happened often during our conversation. He was a, a, a fantastic person to talk to. And then I, I spoke with him some more last year as we were trying to nail down the details of his contribution to the uh, to the Galileo mission. Was he uh, surprised by the, the the attention and interest? I mean, it's not every day you uh, maybe have somebody calling up to saying they want to write a picture book about you. He was not un- unaccustomed to having people interested in his story. Um, I don't know that it crossed his mind that he would be the the subject of a of a, of a children's book. During his lifetime, or ever, and I don't, I don't know who who thinks I'm going to be the subject of a, of a children's <laughs> book. But uh, he was he was happy to, to tell a story, and he's been something that's been very central to his life, especially after he became successful for inventing the super soaker, is to remain engaged and to be engaged and to be encouraging and supportive of. Um, of young inventors. Uh, he's, he's been very involved in, say, the robotics community for young people in Atlanta. Now, were there any details about his life that you learned and wished you could have included, but ended up having to leave on the cutting room floor just for space reasons? There was one anecdote that that uh, even if I had been able to to verify it to the extent that I wanted to, um, I don't know that I would have been able to include it just because it was too much of a tangent. But when he was a uh, when he was a college student at Tuskegee Institute, um, he told me he had helped make um, stage equipment, you know, like you know, sound and lighting equipment for a local band called the Commodores. And I so badly wanted to work in a reference to the Commodores into into Woosh, and I. I, I contacted uh, I tried to contact various members of the Commodores and wasn't able to to really get get their side of the story to the extent that I would have been comfortable with uh, Lionel Richie did not return my calls <laughs> but uh, I love that that odd intersection and, and that, another odd intersection that happened with this book is around the time I was was uh, you know kind of digging into the to the end of the Commodore's angle of things I posted one morning on Facebook that my kind of kind of vaguely but that my research for my current project was involving both Motown and the the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and a friend of mine uh, an author illustrator friend of mine Ruth McNally Barshaw commented on Facebook that you know if if she has a, a brother who used to work at the at the JPL and if I ever wanted to interview someone who had worked there that she would be happy to set that up for me and I said well thank you uh, you know if your brother happened to be at the JPL during the time that that uh, that Lonnie Johnson was there, and and right, if, if he happened to be there in the early 1980s, and if he happened to know a guy named Lonnie Johnson, I, I would love to talk with him. Well, Ruth's brother Pat McNally was an office mate with Lonnie Johnson. I mean, it was Pat and it was Lonnie and one other guy who became an astronaut. There's the three of them. So who? Such a small world when you find out that the brother of one of your friends was actually actually shared an office with this guy you're writing about. So, you know, obviously you got to do these great one-on-one interviews uh, with Lonnie. Was there secondary research that was going into the book as well beyond that? 
Yeah, I mean, there were um, childhood friend of his that was there through a lot of his life was there in Tuskegee and had known him in high school, and, and so was able to to uh, provide some extra details regarding the, uh, the the science fair at the University of Alabama that, that Lonnie's team won uh, in 1968 on the strength of Lonnie, uh, the robot Lonnie had invented. In addition to talking with Pat McNally, I talked with other folks who had known Lonnie at various points in his career, uh, including uh, some very helpful guys at the at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory who were were able to help me, uh, as I mentioned earlier, with the Galileo mission, make sure that I, I understood exactly kind of what his what his contribution was, because it was not it was not an easy contribution to, to sum up, but it was vital to the uh, to, to make sure that their mission could be a success. So there were there were a lot of people who were interested in sharing their stories about Lonnie Johnson, and I found myself you know even going into things about uh, he grew up in, in Mobile, Alabama, when, at a, a high school that was still segregated, and so I. I, for instance, did a lot of research into desegregation in Mobile, so I would have a better sense of what was happening in that community at the time. Um, I wanted to get as good a sense as, as possible of, of what his childhood would have been like, even things that he himself may not have remembered or, or may not have been aware of ever in the first place. Just out of curiosity, did you end up uh, picking up a, a super soaker or two just for you know research purposes? Yeah, I mean, it, it was not... Yeah, I didn't do ex- extensive research on the <laughs> Super Soaker itself because the Super Soaker itself has changed a lot since it was introduced in uh, in 1989. Now mm-hmm. the, the design; these things are, are much much more higher tech than you know, the 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 Super Soaker that we show on the cover of the book is is the original. It's mm-hmm. it's. No, it, so it's it's not the same Super Soaker today, but yeah, I I, I got a good look at, at Super Soakers. And I imagine that uh, I I will see I have a lot more Super Soakers in my future uh, once the book is out than I've had in, in my recent past. I imagine I'll be seeing lots of these things for a good long while. Um, so you know whether it's the the Dayglo brothers or, or Lonnie Johnson or some of the other people you've written about, how do you how do you know when you've got the right person or the right story um, for a picture book? I found that if a story keeps recurring to me. If I, if I find a, a person's life or some store idea, if it keeps coming back to me, I find myself thinking about it over and over, over a long period of time. That's a sign that that story has um, has some appeal to me that I really ought to pay attention to. It's it's coming back on my mind for a reason. And that was the case with the Dickler brothers. I, I knew about their story for three or four years before I actually even started researching that book, but I knew that, that I was interested in it because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Sometimes it's more immediate as when I was watching Watching a documentary about Reconstruction and learned about uh, about John Roy Lynch, or when I began researching African American inventors and, and you know, came up across uh, information about Lonnie Johnson. Sometimes it, you just realize right away that that uh, this is somebody that you want to write about. In the case of my book about the uh, the Christensen brothers who turned the Nutcracker into an American holiday tradition, I was interested in them uh, kind of in the same way that I, I learned about about the Switzer brothers. I read a New York Times obituary, but it was a few years before I really zeroed in on on the the Nutcracker as the as the, the heart of that story. But I was so intrigued by these three brothers who were 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 into ballet dancing and were were, instru- were very very essential to the shaping of, of dance in the certainly in the American West. Um, that I, I kept thinking about them until I finally find the right part of their story to focus on. Mm. Now, uh, your, your wife, uh, Jennifer Ziegler, is an author as well. Uh, do the two of you bounce ideas off of each other? Do you serve as early readers for each other's work? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, certainly with the uh, with bouncing ideas off of each other. We have a, a, uh, uh, 
dog, a, a mix between a Jack Russell Terrier and a Dachshund who needs a lot of exercise. And so we will go on these two or three mile walks you know, every evening walking him. And and uh, we often find ourselves talking about story ideas or, or mulling over you know, characters, uh, plot twists, research that I'm doing for my books, ideas for settings for her books. So that's that's one of the great things about about being being married to an author is you do have uh, you've, you've got your your writing community, your your kind of built in critique community right there in the house. And we do. And I there's nothing I love more than, than printing up a, a draft of a, of a new picture book, a first draft and, and you know, setting it out for her to for her to see. That's a, that's an exciting time for me. And I, I, I think it's an exciting time for her, too. And and it's mutual i love it when she gets one of her novels to the point where i get to find out what's what's going on with with these characters i know she's been thinking about for a long time that's a thrill for me as a reader do you think you two would ever uh, collaborate on a book together i think we will i mean it's i I don't know when um and we we've we've talked about some ideas that that uh that might be right for us to do it seems like a lot of fun especially when say um when, when one or the other of us is traveling for an extended period of time, it seems like a, like a great way to kind of keep in touch by you know, trading off. If we were to write something, say, from the, from the perspective of two different characters, that seems like it would be a really fun way to, uh, to, to stay, in t- stay in touch and stay engaged with each other uh, and as well as, as you know, remain uh, creative and, and productive while we're apart. I would love to write with Jenny. Uh, speaking of collaboration, this is your second book with uh, Don Tate as an illustrator. Um, have the two of you had a chance to to meet, to talk about your books in person or promote them on the road, that sort of thing? Well, well Don and I both live in Austin. So okay. Don was one of my first – he was one of the first friends I made in the Austin children's writing community when I stumbled into it. 15 and a half years ago. And Don, in fact, was one of the first people to ever read – uh, an unfinished draft of The Amazing Age of John Roy Lynch. Don Tate sat at my kitchen table and gave me feedback on the draft because uh, in addition to being an illustrator, he's also an author. And this was pretty early in his in his writing career, but he was in a, a critique group with me. And so to, to be able to take this project from Don sitting at my table giving me feedback on an unfinished version to being you know, asked by Erdman's, uh, the publisher of The Amazing Age of John Roy Lynch, if I had any suggestions for Illustrator and to having them you know, run with my suggestion that Don Tate do it. Uh, it's been it's been a, a thrill. And to, to have this book that we worked on together, uh, I'm just so proud of, of that collaboration. And it's, it's even even more fun having a second book together. Uh, with a, a very different theme to it, you know, you can't. You know, it's it's a pretty big leap from from reconstruction to you know to a rocket scientist who invents a water gun. Well, you know, looking at your uh, all of your books, it's sort of a, a pretty even mix of you've got some some very goofy fiction sometimes, uh, books like Shark versus Train, um, and nonfiction that can be playful like this book, uh-huh. um, but also some serious ones as well. Are we getting a pretty good picture of your of your personality and your interests from your your bibliography so far? Yes, I, I think uh, I think my my personality, and my interests come through in the in the variety of, of, of books that I've done. It, I wouldn't have nearly as much fun in this business if anybody had said, you know, you have to do one or the other. You can't write both of these both these goofy. And I think that's it. Really, is the, the the right word for my fiction. You can't write both these goofy picture books, fiction picture books, and this you know, seriously researched nonfiction. You got to pick one or the other. People are going to be confused by that. I've never, and, and maybe in my case, it helped that that uh, my first two books were seriously researched. The, the Dayglo Brothers, followed nine months later by extremely goofy Sharp versus Train. I kind of 
you know, inadvertently established that as my as my 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 brand or my calling card from the get go. Uh, but yeah, this is I love I love you know rolling up my sleeves and digging into into research, and I I love making up silly stuff. I love uh, off the wall humor, and uh, and I haven't found a way just yet to marry the off the wall humor with the seriously researched nonfiction. And I don't know if I will, but I like being the fact that I can do this kind of book and that kind of book. Well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you have at least four books out this year, uh, Woosh, uh, 88 Instruments, Mighty Truck, and That's Not Bunny. Um, is that just a, a weird coincidence of publishing schedules? Yes, that was uh, you know kind of a, a, a fluke that so many are out, are out this year. Um, I, I do have, if, I, if I'm recalling my own publishing schedule correctly, I think I've got even more next year because there's going to be a Mighty Truck sequel, a picture book sequel, as well as I think the first three Mighty Truck I Can Read books are coming out in 2017. And I've got another couple of picture books as well, one fiction and one nonfiction coming out next year. So, Very good. Well, I uh, appreciate you taking time out of a, a very what sounds like a very busy schedule to, to speak with me. And uh, congratulations again on this book. Well, thank you, John. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, and anytime I, I, can, I can collaborate with Don Tate and tell the world about it, I'm a happy guy to do so. Once again, I've been speaking with Chris Barton, whose picture book with Don Tate, Woosh, Lonnie Johnson's Super Soaking Stream of Inventions, is just out from Charlesbridge. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. Cast.